Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Welcome to episode number 148 of the podcast. Now, today I'm joined by Mike Kazala, and we're going to talk about not only the power of the brain, but how important it is to get moving, learning, and fun, creating engagement, laughter, relationships. Everything you do relates back to everything I just mentioned. And Mike is a pioneer for this. He is a TEDx speaker. Um, he is an international keynoter. He's released books. He's trained over 100,000 people in his training courses. And not only that, he is full of wisdom and he's going to share all of that with us today. And um, I know personally, I was sitting along taking so many notes because Mike is just so good at what he does. And I can guarantee everybody today, if you're driving, running, whatever you're going to do, you're probably going to have to pull over your car or stop your exercise because you want to take notes from our chat. Mike is a superstar and he's going to share so many wisdom bombs with you today. So guys, sit back. This is an episode that is going to change the way you think about the brain, the way you think about moving and learning at the same time. This is episode number 148. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm stoked today. I've got Mike Cazale all the way from the other side of the world. How are you, buddy? I'm doing fantastic and happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. Now, Mike, do you have the best last name ever? Cazale, that, that is awesome. Yeah, uh, it's it's been butchered a thousand different ways. You did fantastic. Uh, and Polish, my Polish heritage, my grandparents came to America from Poland. And uh, yeah, proud of my last name. I, uh, well, I'm very glad. I normally butcher a lot of things in life. So if I got that close, mate, I'm uh, really happy. Now, let's, you obviously said your upbringing, uh, where your grandparents and things come from. Now, you come from three generations of educators. Do you want to give a little bit about your upbringing and background before we get into the amazing work you're doing now? Sure. Uh, I, I do come from three generations. You know, my wife is not in the classroom right now, but she was a second and fourth grade teacher. My sister is a third grade teacher. Both parents were teachers. And my father was especially influential on me. Uh, he was an art educator and a fantastic artist, but he was also uh, a, a great football player and coach. He played at Syracuse with Jim Brown, played in the Cotton Bowl. And, oh, wow. and then he he almost made the NFL, except he hurt his throwing shoulder uh, during his college career. A million other guys have that story, too. Uh, but then he became a great coach and teacher, and he really had a great influence on me. And then I also had three grandparents uh, who were teachers as well, and I was in the classroom for 10 years. And just very, very proud. Uh, I get teachers, and it's my world. It's what I grew up on, and, and I just love education. Yeah, I love that. So obviously uh, your father was a quarterback. Did you follow in the footsteps and play football? Because I love American gridiron. It's uh, a fantastic sport. It, it's just so fascinating that it really evolves around the quarterback. It does. And I, I only did it through uh, junior high school. Um, and so I, I did not play high school football. My son followed in his footsteps and played all the way through high school. Um, and so they, they won a state championship when he was a 10th grader. He was not the starting quarterback, but then they he was uh, to finish out his career the next two years. And they had some great success. And then he played college baseball. So he, he and my, uh, <laughs> my, my, my dad had a great relationship. I love that. Now, one of the things I find really fascinating with 
um, American sport, Mike, is that it's so heavily, like, it, it's so busy in um, high school and then college and things like that. But then it sort of stops, particularly with gridiron, that um, you either make it or you don't. Is that is that something that you find, like, because in Australia, we, um, there's so many social leagues, we play all weekend and things like that, but it, it's not really the same in America, particularly with gridiron, is it? No, I, it's kind of the nature of the sport. I think it, you know, fewer and fewer people want to play. It's a, it's a rough sport, and many others are as well in their own way. But it, it's, um, and more and more is coming out about, you know, concussions and head injuries and you know, other sports people play for almost their whole lives. I see uh, adults all the time playing what we call soccer, what you call football. <laughs> I think, and, uh, but not, not what we know is football here in the gridiron. It, it's, it kind of ends after high school unless you're fortunate enough to play in. College college and then pro yeah and and like you just mentioned there it is a um it's a very dangerous sport i think because you've got helmets on your lead with your head obviously affecting the brain and i know um there's movies will smith was in a great one talking about concussion and the, everything like it but um you're really into the brain and i love this do you want to talk about some of the studies you've done and i know you've done keynotes and everything about it but how important the brain is to obviously get us moving and learning at the same time yeah. So, um, you know, what I've done is I really I'm, I'm very acutely aware of the research, read research and report on research. And what I basically do uh, is, is to create applications for teachers based on the research. So I haven't done research on my own. There have been people who've done research on the kinesthetic classroom uh, on the books and the kind of the framework that we've set out. But so I report on it and I make it fun and applicable for teachers and students. And it's so important. Teachers, teachers change the brain every day. And many times they, they don't know how they're doing that. So it's so important to be aware of educational neuroscience and cognitive research and, and how it affects um, how it affects students uh, on a moment-to-moment -moment basis uh, during the school day. And, and I re that's where my love of this whole physical activity piece comes from, is from my, uh, my exposure to brain research. And I, I taught a graduate course on brain-compatible methods for teachers gosh, about 40 times early in my career. And it influenced me in moving towards the physical activity piece because I saw how that was changing teachers' lives in their own classrooms. So this whole uh, movement, physical activity uh, relationship comes from my love and respect for uh, the neuroscience and the brain research. Yeah, and I, I'm huge on this as well. And, and one key word I picked up on the just mentioned there, like, is that you're making it fun. So all there's so much research out there, and a lot of the time it's quite hard to decipher or figure out how you're going to implement that to get the benefits of what they're talking about. Um, how important is whatever you're doing in life making it fun? Because I'm a big believer if you're not enjoying something, it doesn't matter what it is, you don't want to do it again. So are you a believer that just everything in life has to be fun? Uh, pretty close, you know, <laughs> but because, you know, for me, my own personal philosophy, what else would be the point? Yeah, good one. You, you, you know, uh, life should be as fun as we can make it. Do we hit roadblocks? Do we hit challenges? Do we hit setbacks? Uh, of course. But then we, we move back towards making this a fun life to live and having that kind of influence on on uh, other people. And, and a hallmark of my professional development keynotes, et cetera, is that it is engaging and fun for teachers in the audience because I know that they're going to pay more attention and they're more likely to go ahead and use it uh, with their students if they're engaged and having a good time. Yes, yeah, so, so true. And I 
that word engagement, I think it all it always comes back to relationships. And um, I know you are huge on this. And um, everything you start, it doesn't matter if you're doing a keynote, a workshop, anything like that, that you'll have a connection starter, an icebreaker, or, or something to get buy-in from everybody and just set the tone for what you're going to present um, for the rest of the session. So if I could, I know this is really hard, and, and people have asked me this before, and it's so hard to pinpoint one, but if I could ask you for one top icebreaker or connection starter or something that you go to that just wins over all crowds, what would that be, Mike? Yeah, I, I've, I've done this uh, so many times. I, I, I know when people are going to laugh. I know when they're going to sigh. I know when they're going to settle in. I know when they're going to just burst out. And so uh, one that I really like, I think it's pretty simple that I like to use with people early on in the process because it really gets people excited and laughing uh, is what I call the funny face, mean face jump. And so essentially, uh, teachers, I ask them to, to partner up and show each other a really happy, smiley face. And then I ask them to do a really nasty, mean face. And we have fun with that. And I get into it a little bit more than I am right now. But And then I ask them to turn back to back. They don't have to touch, just be back to back. And when I say, ready, go, they jump in the air and to, to land and face each other. And while they're in the air, they're going to make a decision about whether they're going to show their mean face or their funny face. And the idea is to match. And when people actually land, you hear the thud, they show the face, and the room just erupts. <laughs> you know, now they've got laughter and blood flow and some endorphins and feeling really good. And, you know, we do the best of three and we switch partners, and it's really a fun activity to get people going in the right direction. I, that is awesome, and and I'm a big believer in sometimes there's most simple activities, and that is that is so basic. And anybody listening along, you don't need a video, you don't need a demonstration because you can go and use that today. But also, the great thing about that, Mike, is that there's sneaky fitness in there as well because each time they jump around, they don't actually realise they're jumping. And for a lot of kids these days spinning around jumping, that's a lot more activity than they'll do because of obesity and gaming and everything like that. So do you try and implement a little bit of fitness or sneaky fitness into games like that? Oh, sure. I, I'll often ask them, hey, when we, not necessarily this activity, but sometimes with this activity, but some other activities I do, did your heart rate increase? And they go, oh, yeah, you know, some of them lose their breath a little bit. So fitness is a big part of this, and fitness is a part of our, our framework that, that uh, Tracy Langle and I developed for using physical activity in the classroom. And it's critically important that kids understand that their physical life is important and critical to their emotional life, to their intellectual life, to their academic life, to their social life, to a successful life. And so we hit on that fitness piece as much as we can. Yeah, and it's so true. And, and another key word, I'm, I'm loving this. So you're giving me so many things that I just use myself, Mike, but laughter, you know, and I'm a big believer when we're playing, we're present, we're in the moment. I call it play-based mindfulness because when people are making that funny face or that mean face and they're jumping around, they're not thinking about anything else. And I love that. So how important is play not only for students in this classroom, in PE, but also for adults? Um, because I think it's something that we forget to do. Well, absolutely. And if you think about with children, play is how they, uh, they they learn, It's especially as as very young children. It's how they engage the world through play and through make-believe and through imagination. And then as we get into school, that imagination and curiosity, sometimes as they get kids get older, they start to lose that. And then as adults, we're so inundated with so many different things that we do forget to play. We do forget to imagine. And it's really important for our brains and 
for our brain-body connection, that we do strive to move, to be physically active, uh, to play with other adults, uh, whatever that whatever that means for different people, because it um, that's a part of the joy of life and the fun of living. Yeah, it's so true. And I also think the human connection um, and those relationships that come through play, you know, when you're outside your comfort zone and you're doing something that doesn't involve a device or um, a computer screen these days, that it's so powerful. So are you seeing um, that your sessions, your workshops, your seminars, your teaching um, is having a big impact now just because human connection is something that's sort of drifting away a little bit? Oh yes, and we, we and we talk a lot in our, especially in the you know the the kind of the half day and day long or two day long professional developments that I do, you know we talk about how the brain prioritizes information, which is survival, then emotion, then the cognitive, and we want people to be at the cognitive, but they have to get past those other two levels first, and and so especially you know hopefully people aren't coming to school in a survival mode, but they certainly could and do. But, you know, more often than not, we're going to have kids, adults, they're at that emotional level. Things are going on in their lives. And I always ask teachers, you know, what are you doing for kids as, as soon as they walk in the room? Is it a handshake? Is it a greeting? Is it eye contact? Is it uh, physical activity? Uh, is it some kind of icebreaker? Is it a piece of music that's playing? Because it's so important to get past that emotional piece so that we can get to the learning. And so, you know, we, we want to create emotional environments that stimulate intellectual achievement. And that's how it has to happen through emotion, because we are our emotions. I mean, rarely do we do anything that when we're not trying to change how we feel, and rarely does anything happen to us that doesn't change the way we feel. So we really have the lens of emotion to live our lives through. And it's really important to the learning process. Yeah, it sure is. And, and like you just mentioned that, what is that first step that you're doing when you greet either people at work, your students, colleagues, anything like that? And I call it bringing energy because I'm a big believer if you're leading something you're there, that first 10 minutes is where you can set the tone, set the energy, bring the happiness, and then it flows off. Do you sort of bring that across when um, I know you're presenting that you've always mentioned that you start with like an icebreaker or a connection starter? How important is rocking up with the right attitude and bringing that energy? Oh, it's, it's just, yeah, gosh, it's everything. Those first few moments are so important to set the tone and set the energy for the room and get people up and moving, engaged and, and laughing. And I have to get myself to a point, too, um, and set my state and get my state in the right flow and the right way of being so I can be the very best for my audience because they deserve nothing less than my very best. And I try to live up to that responsibility every time. So I think it's critical um, that, that the tone is set from the very get-go. Yeah, and it's it's like putting on a mask or putting on a disguise. If you don't feel like it, um, that first 10 minutes, if you set it right, then you can sort of, I call it, I can go back, have a coffee and relax because my job's done. I've set the energy and then it's infectious. It's like plugging an iPhone into the charge. You charge everyone up and it flows on. And I'm a big believer in that as well, Mike. So when you look back and everything you're doing, um, what gives you most satisfaction in, um, I know we're going to talk about your TEDx talk, um, author of a book, you're doing all these keynotes. What's the most satisfying thing about everything? everything you do? You know, I, I've been doing this for a long time and <clears throat> probably the, the, there's two different levels where I have a lot of satisfaction. Um, the, and, and, and I think it is the personal stories. When someone comes back to me and says, your book changed my life, 
um, you know, or this was the the very best professional development I've ever been involved with. You know, my kids enjoy my classroom so much more. There's nothing better that gives me the satisfaction that I strive for in my professional life. And when when I, and the other side of that is when I, you know, I'm, I'm you know getting uh, you know up in years as we all are, and I look back at some of the numbers. Um, you know, between the, the TED Talk and the books and the graduate courses that people have taken that, that we've designed, uh, some of the keynotes and PD, I mean, it's well over 100,000 uh, people who have enjoyed these. Wow. And, and, and that reaches millions of students. And that's very satisfying to me. And I want to see that continue to grow. Yeah, mate, then that's awesome. Do you? I know it's very easy these days in a fast-paced life to just go from next to next. But do you? That's obviously a hundred thousand people. That is that is incredible, mate. Do you sit back, Mike, and you know say, "Geez, I've done well." Do you do you take time to allow yourself to do that? I've been doing it a little bit more lately. Um, I, you know, it was we, my wife and I go with our hair on fire. Uh, you know, we, we just raised 22-year-old twins. They just graduated from college, and they were both involved in athletics. And you know what that life is like. Uh, you know, we've just been going and going and going, and now we're taking a deep breath as they start their professional life. And I do sometimes sit back and just say, hey, this has been pretty good. Not for very long because I have more stuff on my plate and more <laughs> goals to achieve. Uh, but, but yeah, I, 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 I do. I think that's important. I think if you don't do that every once in a while, it, it decreases motivation, and you're missing – you're missing some of the point about enjoying the process. Yeah, I'm so true about that because too many people are, and I know I used to be like this, Mike, that I'll be happy when, I'll be happy when, and you tick something off and you're already on to the next thing, whereas you've got to celebrate these achievements. And like you just said, um, we're going to talk about your TEDx talk and your book now, but um, you need to sit back and sort of be proud of that. So I'm glad you're doing that. And for people listening along, if there's things in your life that, you should, that you've done and you're proud of, then celebrate it because um, it's important to have those little wins because that's what inspires you to keep going on. So let's talk about your TEDx talk, mate. It's um, awesome. I've watched it. I've loved it. Um, what was that like? Well, that was something. Uh, when that happened, you know, they, you, you, you're up on stage and you really can't see the audience very well. And the, the, someone is sitting in the very front row center seat with an iPad with a clock running down from 20 minutes. <laughs> and, and so, I, you know, I tried to ignore that. I had it timed pretty well. So that was a little bit of a little hair raising. Uh, and they actually cut the first two minutes. I, I've never seen the first two minutes. There's a couple of stories that I tell, and they just said, you know, this is going to go around the world, and it might not uh, transfer culturally to every, every place, so we're just going to take that out. Uh, so, yeah, it was a fantastic experience. I love public speaking. I'm one of those weird people who likes that. Uh, but it was, it, was a, it was a little bit nerve-wracking, but it was fun. Yeah, and that's awesome. Now, I love public speaking like speaking and talking as well, Mike. And, but knowing that I've got 20 minutes on the dot to talk for, how hard is that? Because I'm really like yourself. Like if I get on a run, I can ramble and I can keep going. But um, with a TEDx talk, you've got that set time. How much practice and planning went into that? You know what? A, a lot. Uh, oh, excuse me. A, uh, a lot. Uh, there, I, you know, when you look at the body of work that Tracy and I have developed together, we have two full uh, 40 hours, 40 hour graduate courses. And so we're talking about two weeks of work, uh, that became books that became one and two day professional developments that I took and narrowed down that the talk is about 16 minutes long. And so there was a lot of narrowing, a lot of focusing, there was a lot of practice. Uh, and I also, um, have re 
recently, it's, it's kind of related, you know, debuted a new keynote that's geared towards physical educators and about physical literacy and the emotional side of physical literacy. And uh, that I just, you know, I I won't go on stage unless something is, is to my satisfaction. And so there's a lot of preparation. I practice that keynote a lot, like two or three times a day for several months before I did that. That's the kind of focus you need if you're going to be out there doing this kind of work. And I sense that about you, which is fantastic. I, we have a lot in common. and I love that. Yeah, we do. But that, I think a, a TEDx talk is on it's the next level because, as you said, you've got a set time. There's, it's going to go out to the rest of the world. So I think that's a really key point for anybody listening around the world. If if you want to do something well, the amount of time, preparation, and uh, not only that, to execute it like you did, Mike, that's what you've got to do. So TEDx Talk, dominating. Let's talk about your book, mate, um, Kinesthetic Classroom, because this is a bestseller and I know so many teachers around the world are using it. Yeah, that was it, that's been really fun. Um, and, and it was quite an experience the first time that you get a book published, uh, quite a long experience, but once you do it once, then it gets easier to do and your publisher has faith in you and that kind of thing. So that, that was really gratifying. It helped, it helped us, you know, we wrote these graduate courses and we were using other people's books. And so we said, why not write you know, we, we created this framework for this course. Why not put it in a book? It's going to help teachers to think of more ways to use movement and to use it uh, in an organized manner that flows throughout the day. So that was really uh, a great thing. And then, of course, I wrote a book for corporate trainers, my second book, Training in Motion. And then Tracy and I came out with the next kinesthetic classroom book in 2017. So we'll see what comes next. But uh, that was a really great experience and one that took a lot of discipline, a lot of work. But, it, you know, it, it sharpens you for the next time, which becomes even a little bit easier. It's never easy to write a book, but it becomes a little bit more of a, a flow to the process. Yeah, I could imagine that uh, when you see, finally see that book as a hard copy, it must be pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It really was. <laughs> It's been a bad, it's been nine years since it came out, so that feeling has passed. But I, I still can remember getting that in the mail for the first time and seeing it online. I kept looking at these online resellers like Amazon. Oh my gosh, my book is there. Uh, so yeah, that was that was pretty cool. I love that. So uh, obviously, it's been around for nine years. How long uh, since Tracy and yourself? You're doing your course. You're using other people's books. Um, how long was obviously to have the idea to write your own to actually getting that first copy in the mail? How long was that process, Mike? Oh boy. So I'm going to say from the time, from the time we put, created the prospectus to the time it got to market, um, I'm going to say a year and a half to two years. Yep. Yeah. It, it, it took, it took that long. It, it's quite a process the first time. So that, that's generally, it, it took us that long to write the courses and get them field tested and get instructors trained. We have about I would say 30 to 40 teachers that teach our graduate courses on our behalf. And then the books uh, were equally challenging. Um, so, yeah, that's that's about how the process went. I love that. Now, obviously, you're training all these people, other trainers, helping other people around the world. But how do you still grow in your professional sense and personally? What I know you said you do a lot of reading. Is there other things that you do, Mike, to um, sharpen that pencil and stay on top of your game? Yeah, I you know I I force myself into into new kind of exciting projects. Um, you know, we're, we're working on something called brain primers. 
uh, with with Dr. Lynn Kenny based on some really recent research uh, that that tell that informs us how um, you know rhythmic coordinative beat based movement uh, increases executive function, which is critical to academic achievement. So I'm always looking for new things to do. That keynote was a big deal in my life. I continue to try and read research. I uh, was really excited about the the uh, kind of the format for physical activity in schools that came out of the UK recently. So I'm just always reading, always trying to get better at what I'm doing um, by by professional development in my in my own kind of way. I don't take other people's courses anymore too much, but I watch TED talks and I I, I, I read as much as I can and keep exploring and thinking of new projects that I can do. Yeah, I, I love that. And for people listening along, it's uh, you never stop learning. And it doesn't matter even if you're a TEDx speaker, you've released so many books and you've trained over 100,000 people around the world, Mike, that you are always learning. And, and the day you stop learning, I think, is when you really shut yourself off from everything. So um, one thing I always like asking people is, is there a question that you wish people asked you more? So obviously you do all your courses and you're doing everything like that and your seminars and um, the amazing work you're doing, but is there something that you wish people would, you know, throw a question at you a little bit more often? Hmm. Well, that that's interesting. I, I you know what, I, I think that, and sometimes they don't know they ask the question, but how a lot of the uh, cognitive research connects to using physical activity. Like I go through it and I tell them, and I would love if people asked me about that more, like how does working memory uh, connect to physical activity? How does the primacy recency effect connect to physical activity? How do our memory systems uh, as a whole connect to physical activity and long-term memory formation and academic achievement? That stuff fascinates me, and I always hope that that's a bigger conversation amongst people and that they ask me about that so I can I can go on because I love talking about that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you think people don't ask you that because they're not aware of it, or they? Um, I often find that people may not uh, throw a question at me because they're not that confident with it, and therefore they don't really know how to throw the question at you. Do you find that that sometimes happens? Yeah, I think so. I think that probably some of it is not being aware. Um, and uh, yeah, I, not everybody is a brain nerd like me either. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I have to remember that. Uh, I love the stuff and I try to make it applicable for people. Um, and so sometimes I think, uh, they're, they're just not quite aware uh, of what to ask. I always, there's to me, you know, of course, uh, this is kind of cliche, but there's no dumb questions. I really think that. So I encourage people to ask any questions and we'll just get to a, a good place with a, with an answer that, that works well. Yeah, I, and that's that's so true. I think uh, the more you ask, the more you learn and, and like you've just mentioned there. So, Mike, before we get to where we can find your book and your TEDx talk and your courses and everything like that, I've got a couple of questions I always finish off with. Now, um, if you could look back to 18-year-old Mike from everything you've done now, from presenting over the world, creating books, um, helping over 100,000 people, TEDx talks, everything you've done. If you could look back when you were 18 years old and from all your wisdom and knowledge, raising twins, um, what would that one bit of advice you would give 18-year-old Mike? Hmm. (laughs) Um, You know that it's okay to be wrong. 
that being wrong is free information about what not to do next time. Uh, and we shouldn't be, you know, scared of being wrong. That fear, I'm going to borrow from Tony Robbins here, fear, um, as long as it's a teacher and not a jailer, we can use it to our benefit. So I, I think that's the big thing. It's okay to make mistakes. The brain rarely gets it right the first time. And we have to be aware of that so we're easy on ourselves. And it's just, hey, okay, let's not do that again. We move this way. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's so true because I, so many people are, are scared these days, like you just mentioned, to make a mistake or get it wrong. But um, unless you do it and figure that out, that's a lesson um, because you're not going to do it again, isn't it? That's absolutely correct, and that is not a bad thing. There's no way we can get it right all the time or be perfect all the time, and it's just okay. And teachers need to frame that correctly for kids so the kids are comfortable. It goes back to that emotional environment. They're comfortable raising their hand, making a mistake, and saying, oh, okay. So, Yeah, and I, I think that comes back to, and I know um, Brene Brown is huge on this, but allowing vulnerability and allowing mistakes to happen because um, that's when everything sort of just creates and it makes it an environment where people want to challenge themselves and aren't scared to step out of their comfort zone. Absolutely. And you know what? I, you, you caught my attention because uh, my daughter in, uh, introduced me to Brene Brown. So I'm, I'm a fan and listening more and more. She's got a, uh, for people listening, she's got a really, uh, she's on Netflix, so that's obviously how big she is, but her, her last book, uh, Dare to Lead, I don't know if you've read that, Mike, but um, that's really fascinating. I really enjoyed that one. I have not, but I will take your recommendation. <laughs> And begin. There we go. So you've given me so much today, mate. If I can give you one thing, that was a great book. Now, um, finally, before we go, what's the legacy you want to leave? Um, when it's all said and done, I know you've got so many good years in you yet, but what legacy do you want to leave? What do you want to be remembered for, Mike? Yeah, the classrooms, the, the, the classrooms and any learning situation needs to be physically active. It is the brain-body connection. Um, it, it is how it is. It is about being human. It's who we are. Our our brains and bodies are. We're built to move. Our brain requires it. And the more we um, use that to our advantage, the better off both teacher and student will be. And I hope that I've added. Uh, that piece to the repertoire of teachers all over the world. Well, if, if today's uh, chat is anything to go by, Mike, you've definitely done that, mate. And um, I know I've got a little notepad here and I've written down so many little things and um, I absolutely love that. So um, before we go, where can we find, I know you're on Twitter, um, you're very active on Twitter, LinkedIn, um, your website. Do you want to give everyone a little shout out so they can not only go and follow you, but um, thank you for everything you've done today and, and reach out to Mike because um, he's provided so many key sort of wisdom bombs here that uh, you can implement straight away. Sure. Uh, and I love to hear from people. And they can find me and reach me at MikeKazala.com. Uh, so M-I-K-E-K-U-C-Z-A-L-A.com. And you can find my TED Talk there. You can also find it on YouTube. You can find my books there. Or you can find those on Amazon or Corwin.com. 
Um, so yeah, different ways to find me on Twitter. I'm at at kinesthetic class with one C in the middle and hopefully you'll give me a follow and we can have some conversation. And, uh, I'll have uh, all those links, um, on episode 148. If you go to energetic.education forward slash podcast, so you can go and check out everything that Mike's mentioned. I highly recommend checking out his Ted talk, but Mike, today's been an absolute blast. And before I let you go, I just want to say you've been an inspiration for me and, um, just the way that you promote, um, moving and learning uh, in the classroom and what that can actually create. And I know that um, I've been I've been really excited for this chat today and I know people listening will can't wait to go and check out more. So, mate, thank you so much for your time today, staying up late um, and being on the show. It's been an absolute blast. Oh, Dale, thank you so much. I am a fan of yours. I love the energy and your posts on LinkedIn and on Twitter, et cetera. And I really appreciate this opportunity to be with you today. <laughs>